grab your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Today we're starting a new series. Uh, it's entitled, you don't have to put the verses up quite yet, guys. It's entitled Red Letter Day. Red Letter Day. It's an important series that I think that you're really going to enjoy. I pray that you enjoy. But more importantly, I believe it's going to speak to your heart. I believe it's going to have a big impact on your life and a very significant, a very deep, and a very meaningful spiritual way. As we pre prepare our hearts for Easter, and I know you think, Pastor, Easter's a long way away. It's actually not. It's, it's coming up in just a few weeks. So as we prepare our hearts for Easter, I want to take a look at some of the last phrases, some of the words that Christ said on the cross just before he died. What were some of the last things that he said? Every phrase is phenomenally powerful and is theologically deep, and it can impact our lives. We pick up today in Matthew chapter 27, verse 37. I'm going to read out of the new NIV version today because it says some things, uses some words that uh, I just like their translation a little bit better. And uh, it's more what I memorized when I was a kid. So rather than misquote it, we'll just read NIV. Are you ready, guys? Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. What is he talking about right here? Jesus is now hanging on the cross, and they made a note, and above it, they placed his charge, and they wrote, King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. So here's Jesus, and he is hanging on the cross. He, he's bloody. He's beaten. He's mostly unrecognizable. And people are walking by and mocking him. They're laughing at him. And one of the first things that they're saying is, if you are who you say you are, if you're going to do what you said you were going to do, now is the time. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. How's that going to happen? You're hanging on a cross. You said you could save yourself, and yet there you are hanging on a cross. If Jesus couldn't save himself in their world and their minds, if Jesus couldn't save himself, then it negated and disqualified Everything that Jesus had ever taught, everything that Jesus had ever preached or done. So they're saying, look, now, now Jesus, you said you were going to do this. Here you are. Now is the time. There's no more delay. You've been talking about this for three years. There you are hanging on the cross. Go ahead and get it done. The chief priests, they were denying the power of Christ. This was their ultimate vindication. This was their proof that Jesus was not who he says he was. He was not the king of the Jews. He was not the Messiah. He was none of those things. He was just another crazy man. They didn't realize that Jesus had to do and he had to say certain things in order to fulfill Scripture. There were what we call the messianic prophecies that were written in the Old Testament. 
all these prophecies about the Messiah. Um, you may remember from a few weeks ago, we, we talked about the scripture, the verse that said, uh, if you break one law, you have basically broken them all. So the, the point was, you know, you're holding people to certain laws and yet you're breaking these laws, but once you break one according, under the law, you've broken them all. The same manner applies, the same thing applies to the messianic prophecies. It's the same principle, it's the th same thought pattern. If you fulfilled some of the messianic prophecies, but not all of the messianic prophecies, then it was as if you fulfilled none of them and you couldn't be the Messiah. You had to do everything that the Old Testament said of you or you were not him. Remember, there were lots of people walking around claiming to be the Messiah. They were claiming to do great things and they were teaching. There were lots of people, false Jesuses, false Messiahs, if you will, running around. And so for the chief priests, they, they had lost track of the fact that Jesus was not saving himself because he had to do certain things to fulfill Scripture. And what they thought was disqualifying Jesus was actually qualifying Jesus. So they're mocking him. They're denying his power. Verse 43, these next four words hit really hard. Verse 43. He trusts in God. I want you to read that with me, everybody together, on the count of three. One, two, three. He trusts in God. This is what the, they said of Jesus. They're trying to mock him, and they say of Jesus, while he's hanging on the cross, bloody and beaten and, and uh, d disfigured, they say, he trusts in God. So if he trusts in God, let God rescue him now if he wants him. If God even wants you, let him, tr let him save you because you've been trusting in him all along. For he said, I am the son of God. Look, Jesus had been walking around saying, I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the anointed one. Me and my father are one. And now they're looking at him and saying, you trusted in God. Where is he? I don't know if you've ever been here in your life, but it's easy to trust in God when everything's going well. When everything's going your way, when, when, when all the pieces of your life just seem to fit together and to fall into place, but when things get difficult and people are mocking you and people are laughing at you and it doesn't look like everything you said was going to happen is not happening, happening, and now people are looking at me and saying, do you still trust in God? When you're in the courtroom, when you're battling in your marriage, when you're struggling in your finances... Do you still trust in God? Are you, are you sure you don't want to change what you were saying now? Are you sure you don't want to do something differently now? They said of Jesus, he trusts in God. This word trust is an important word. It's an important word. They, here's Jesus. You trusted in God, but where is your God now? You've been dragged from courtroom to courtroom. You were scourged with the cat of nine tails. You were whipped mercilessly. Soldiers put a blindfold on you. They put a crown of thorns in your head until the blood run down your face. And, and they put a robe on you and a stick in your hand to, to mock you to, as if you were some king. And then they would punch you in the face, Jesus. And they would tell you to prophesy and set, to determine which one of the guards punched you. They were mocking you in everything you had done. And now you are there, Jesus. Are you sure you still trust God? 
You carried your cross to Golgotha. They nailed you to a tree. Where is your God now? If he is real, if he loved you, wouldn't he save you now? They even wrote and on the sign on the top of his cross, they wrote King of the Jews to mock him. They wrote it in three languages. They wrote it in Greek, they wrote it in Hebrew, and they wrote it in Latin. Just so that everyone who came through, everyone who saw, would, could be in on the joke. Have you ever felt like everyone in your world is in on the joke of your life? May God rescue him now if he wants him. You may have trusted in God, but do you still trust? This word trust in the Greek is the word pitho. It means to convince, to rely on with inward certainty, or to have full confidence or complete trust. Again, when things were going well, trust is easy. To be fully convinced that God is with you, that God is for you, that God is on your side, that, that God's going to take care of you. You have this inward certainty. It's not hard to rely on. You've got complete confidence. You fully trust in Him, but when things take a turn, when God hasn't come through, when everyone is mocking you, are you convinced? Verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Something shifted here about 12 o'clock. In the middle of the day, at noon, it should be bright. There was no storm. There was no eclipse. None of those things. It was a normal day, and then all of a sudden, it went completely dark for three hours. And verse 46, about, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, <laughs> which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you're in the light, it's easy. When you're in the dark, where is God? I, uh, I went, uh, I've, I've told you on multiple occasions uh, stories about my, my hunting trip to Idaho when we went elk hunting. And uh, so I, I was there with my, with my dad and a, another pastor friend of ours, Joe Parker, who, who pastors up in Idaho. And Joe was born and raised in the mountains. I wasn't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's flat here. The biggest mountain we have is the overpass right out front out here. And so uh, on the way, all the way into the mountains, Joe is talking about how wolves have come into the area and have really thinned out a lot of the herd. And so we, just, we have to be really on the lookout, first off, to make sure we see elk. And secondly, to make sure we're watching out for wolves. I get to camp. The first story they tell me is about how when they went in to set up camp, wolves, a pack of wolves came right through the camp. Now understand coyotes, which we have around here, you know, they're, they're like this. Wolves are like this. We're talking about 120, 150 pound animals that hunt in packs and kill for a living. I don't know anything about wolves. So then we go up to spike camp. Now we leave and we hike up the mountain to the top of the mountain. And uh, one of the guys with us had killed the day before. So now there is the leftovers of a carcass right beside spike camp which seems to be an attractant for wolves for me. I don't know anything about wolves. Then, shortly after we get there, Dad shot a bear, 
but the bear it was wounded and got away and came right between from where he shot to where Spike Camp was. Now understand, Spike Camp is not like a building that you're in. Spike Camp is like a, a, like a three-man tent and, and, a, and a campfire. So now it's time to go to bed. During the day, I was all good. When I could see and I had my rifle, no problem. If, if a wolf comes, if that bear is wounded and decides to come back and get us, I'm ready. But now it's dark. And I'm not talking about dark like in the city where there's lights everywhere. We're out in the mountains. There is no light anywhere. And old Joe Parker, he ain't worried at all. We get in the tent and he's just snoring away. And all I'm thinking about is wolves are coming to get me. I kid you not, all night long, I slept with my knife open on my chest, ready to go. Like, you can come for me, but I'm not going down without a fight. I, I trusted Joe during the day. I had no problem. He said, man, the wolves aren't coming here. And yet, I hear them. They seem like they're right outside the tent. When it got dark, I didn't trust old Joe Parker anymore. He's snoring away. And I am scared out of my mind. I'm not too afraid to tell you. I'm too, not too proud to tell you. I was scared completely out of my mind. I didn't sleep at all the entire night. I just laid there. Every time I heard anything, I was like up and looking around. In the light of day, when it seems like God is shining his light on you, and he's blessing you and you're living that abundant life that he promised. Trusting his God is very easy. But when the light goes out and darkness invades, it was in the darkness that it got so difficult for Jesus that he walked. He looks out and out of the pitch black. If you just, just put yourself there with me for a moment. In the pitch black darkness, Jesus has hardly said anything. He took the beatings without complaining. He took the scourging without complaining. He took the crown of thorns without complaining. They put the nails in his hands. He never complained. But suddenly in the darkness, you hear this cry from the pit of Jesus' stomach. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is heartbreaking because you have to understand something about Jesus he had never once experienced life without God being right there with him. It was Jesus who said, me and my father are one. He's with me. I, I do what he tells me to do. I go where he tells me to go. I say what he tells me to say. And all these things. And yet for the first time in his life, he felt God was turning away from him. Why? Because God literally had to turn his back on Jesus. In this moment, he had become, become all the sin of the world. And Jesus and God had no choice but to turn his back on his very own son. And so for the first time, Jesus experienced something that man can experience more often than we care to admit. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. This is a psalm of David. He said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? If you're reading in the NIV, he says, why did you forsake me? It's exactly what Jesus said. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he is literally quoting David. 
Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? Verse 2. Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. And every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. See, here's, here's the problem. The Bible says that Jesus had to experience everything that man has to experience. He had to battle everything that man has to battle. This is what the Word of God teaches. But Jesus is now hanging on the cross and he's never experienced a moment without knowing that God was near him. Because if Jesus couldn't make it through that moment, he couldn't say to you and he couldn't say to me when we feel forsaken and when we feel abandoned, you're going to get through it as well. If Jesus couldn't get through, how's he going to promise it to us? So he hung there and he cried out. And he said what, exactly what, the, what David had said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus handled all of the abuse and the ridicule that man had to offer. He didn't complain when man did their worst. But when God withdrew, he screamed out in agony. He'd spent his time knowing Jesus and now he didn't. Look what Psalm 22 verse 7 and 8 says. Everyone who sees me mocks me. Does that sound like Jesus on the cross? They sneer and they shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Or may I say it this way, is this the one who trusts in the Lord? Then, the, then let the Lord save him. If the Lord lo loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. While mocking Jesus and trying to disqualify him, they were actually qualifying Jesus and quoting the scripture that they tried to use against him. Here's the truth. We only see part of the story. From wherever you are today, in a good time or in a bad time, if you're in the light or in your dark, doesn't matter, you only see part of the story. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. He said it like this, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Right now, you don't. You see imperfectly or incomplete. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. Now this is Paul. This is the great Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who helped us understand the kingdom of God like no one outside of Jesus ever has. And he, yet he says, all that I know now is partial and it's, and it's incomplete. But then, later, I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Here's the thing. God knows Everything about your life, everything about your heart, everything about your future, everything about that's coming your way, every attack of the enemy that's coming your way, but you don't know all that. So we look at an incomplete picture, and it's difficult to trust God. It's difficult to not feel abandoned, and yet God's saying, I've got it all worked out. Can you keep trusting me? But we don't know, we don't see the whole picture. If I had to hold this sign up to you today, what, do you, what word do you see? It's okay, say it out over here. Y'all see nowhere over here? Nowhere. But the truth of the matter is, you can see the word nowhere, or you can look at the same word and you can see now here. 
There are times in our life that we're so busy looking at everything and saying God is nowhere that we don't recognize when God is now here. So what do you do? What do we do when we feel abandoned? What do we do when we feel forsaken? Can I give you three things to remember? I want to encourage you this morning. If you're in a place and you just feel like, man, I don't know where God is, Pastor Ren, and I don't know what happened to him. I, like he was here and then now he's gone. And now I'm being mocked and I'm being ridiculed and life is not going my way and I'm stuck in the dark. Where is God? The first thing I want you to know is this. God is good. He's good. Here's what, here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. Only God is truly good. Only God is truly good. Watch what he's, look, why do you call me good? This is Jesus. Why do you call me good? Because only God is truly good. We, use, we overuse the word good way too much if you look at it from a scriptural context. In the scripture, and this is why this is so important to Jesus. You can read all of the Talmud, which is the writings of the rabbis going all the way back to, the, to, to Moses and, and Aaron. And you never see anyone referred to as good except for God. The man who came up to Jesus in verse 17, he came up to him and he said, good teacher, and asked him a question. Jesus' response is not even about the question. His response is, why are you calling me good? Because when you called me good, you didn't know what you were doing, but something inside of you said to call you good. Because no teacher, no rabbi, no, nothing or no one is called good except God. So this man walks up to Jesus and without even knowing what he was doing, called him God. Because in his very nature and in his very character, God is good. Even when the young man didn't understand, even when he couldn't see it clearly, Jesus said, God is good. No one is good except God. I'm good. Therefore, I am God. But good is overused. And so when we say God is good, we're just kind of like, well, I, I guess because, you know, lots of things are good. In fact, we, we overused good so much that we had to create words to describe things as being better. So now we have good, better, and best. We have great, we have awesome, we have incredible, we have all these stupendous, all of these words to upgrade on the word good. And yet the biblical standard is God himself. And you can't get any gooder than God. So from, from our framework, we say God is good, and yet we, we put him on in, in the verbiage that we use in our world today. We've got to change that for a moment. Just, just for a second, recognize that our God is good, and he is strong, and he is big, and it's in his very nature to be good to us. Husbands, the, the next time your wife steps out of the room and says, how do I look today? You look her right in the eyes and say, you look good. But ladies, don't get upset. Don't get upset with him. Why? Just realize that he said that you were a reflection of God in his world. That even for a moment, it's as if God was looking down at creation for the first time and said, it is good. Words can't describe you, but no other words are needed. Just looking at you reminds me that I serve a God that is creative and imaginative with endless resources and that he loves me so much that I get the chance to love you every day and be the best husband I can be. And I just get to wake up and see you. So yes, baby, you look good. 
Because we got to recognize that God is the standard of good. Not, well, I, I went to a restaurant. How was it? Well, it was good. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was good. No, no, God is good. You may not even know it. When you're going through the difficulties of your life, you may not see it. You may not understand it. But when I say the words, God is good, oftentimes two things are happening simultaneously. Your spirit is in agreement because your spirit and the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you knows that God is good. But your mind is trying to argue. Your mind is trying to disqualify that statement. So our thoughts, which can, can grow like weeds and cause problems, are trying to pull us away. And yet our spirit is trying to say, no, 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 God really is good. You've got to let your spirit man win. You've got to trust in him because he knows that God is really good. Remind yourself, God is good. Paul said that God is immutable, meaning he, has, he, he doesn't even have the ability to change. Without the ability to change, his, if his nature was once good, it's always good. Say that with me. God is good. Second thing I want you to know this morning is this. God is for me. Not God is good for me. Sorry, guys. It's just simply God is for me. God's for me. Not only is he good, I'm on God's side. Here, here's, what, here's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? No one that comes against you, no one that tries to stand against you, no attack of the enemy can ever win because God is for you. Who can be against you? Well, how do we know that God is for us? Well, here's what he says. Since he did not e spare even his own son, but gave him, up all for, for, gave him up for us all, won't he also give up everything else? What's he, what's he saying? God already paid the ultimate price. Every, why would he stop short when he's already paid the price that he paid? He already gave up his son. Why would he stop now? God is for you. Yeah, but... He's not for you. You've done this and you've done that and you have this past and you have that past. No, he goes on to say, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? <laughs> yeah, I've got to, you've got to know something. Yeah, I, I, I did all those things. I made, a, I made those mistakes. I, I, I caused that problem. I said that. You're right. I did that. But God chose me and no one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. I didn't earn it. It wasn't, it wasn't in, because of everything I did, but it was in spite of all of my stuff. God chose me. He loved me. So now I can say that God is for me. I want you to say that with some power and, and some, some oomph behind it. God is for me. When I don't see him and when I don't understand and when it doesn't make sense and when I'm feeling forsaken, God is still for me. Somehow, even when Jesus was hanging on the cross feeling forsaken, God was still for us. God is for you. He's on your side. Number three is this. Number three is this. God is with me. Wait, wait a minute, Pastor Randall, what do you mean here? You're feeling forsaken. Jesus is on the cross feeling forsaken. I'm feeling forsaken. David is feeling forsaken. You're feeling forsaken. And yet you're telling me that God is with me? And I'm saying, exactly. Here's, here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Don't love money, but be satisfied with what you have. For God has said... 
I will never fail you and I will never abandon or forsaken you. Forsake you. What's his point? Don't look at the things in your life to determine if I'm with you or not. Don't look at your success or your failure. Don't look at the money you've collected or the money you don't have. Don't look at, at all the things of this world to determine if God is with you tonight. For I already said that I would never fail you. I would never leave you. I would never abandon you. I would never forsake you. I'm always with you. Lo, I am with you always, even until the ends of the earth. He's always with us. So, so, so the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage us. Stop looking at all this stuff and saying that God is not with us. But know that he is with you. But I don't, I don't understand, Pastor Randy. It's not making sense. I don't get it. Here's the question. When, you, when it doesn't make sense and you don't understand, do you trust him? It comes back to this. They, they said of Jesus, he trusted in God. Do you trust in God? When you don't understand, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 said, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding, but seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't depend on your understanding. Know that God is with you. God never intended us for us to understand it all. Because it forces trust and faith. You know what I've learned in my life? The better I know God, the less I ask why and the more I ask what. When it relates to what God's doing in my life, I stop asking God, why are you doing this? And I start saying, God, what are you doing? For what purpose is this happening? For what do you want me to do next? What do you want to reveal in me? What are you trying to change in me? What are you trying to work on in me, God? Because I know you have a purpose. So what was God doing when he turned away from Jesus? It's very simple. He was saving you. He was saving me. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin, that you and I might become his righteousness. There was a purpose in what Jesus was doing. The religious leaders said, let God save him if he wants him. And I read that this week. It really spoke to me and really touched my heart. As a father, I can't imagine wanting anything more than wanting to save my son or save my daughter. When Randy was having his surgery, he came out of surgery and his ear was in a lot of pain. And we gave him some meds, but they weren't working. And he just kept looking at me and he just kept saying, Dad, it's, it's hurting. I, can you do something? How long till the medicine kicks in? He can't touch it. He can't, he can't press on it. He can't do anything. He's just in pain. And this is just from an ear surgery. And I'm looking and down on him and, and, I'm, and we keep going to the nurse and the nurse is saying, sorry, we can't do anything. And I'm like, I just want to give everything. If I could just be laying in the bed and let my son get out, I'll take the pain. Can you imagine what it was like for God the Father looking down at his son? And they said, save him if you even want him. But here's the decision that God made. God made a decision that rather than saving his son, he would save me. 
I want you to get a picture of that. God picked you over his own son, Jesus. That's how much he loves you. That's why I can say that God is good and God is for you and God is with you because I already know that he chose you over his own son. He turned away from his own son, but when he turned away from his own son, he turned towards you. I want to ask you this question today. Do you know Jesus? Is he the Lord and the Savior of your life? Has he, he already died for your sins, but have you received the free gift of salvation? Have you received forgiveness? Have you walked away from the old life and walked towards the abundant life that Jesus promised? I'm going to ask everyone in this room, everyone watching online, to close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment. God chose you. He chose you instead of his own son, Jesus. Do you need to choose Jesus today? Do you need to say yes to him? The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is available today. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, would you just slip up your hand in this room right now? I want to pray with you. No one's looking around. No no eyes are open. I see your hands going up. I see hands. If you're watching online, I want to pray with you. Just slip up your hands. So, Pastor Randy, you can't see me. No, but God can. The Holy Spirit can. Thank you for those hands. You can put them down. I'm going to ask, ask that everyone here and online would repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for giving your life for me, to forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want you to be my God to fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might live for you both now and for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Clap your hands and rejoice this morning. Maybe you're here today and you you feel like Jesus felt, like David felt. God, where are you? I love you, and I know you love me, but I don't feel you right now. I don't see you right now. I'm caught up in the darkness of this world and in my life. I want to pray with you this morning that you would know these things deep in your spirit, that God is good, and he is for you, and he is with you, that he would encourage you. This this is what David said later in Psalm chapter 22. He said, I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. Here's what I want to encourage you with. God's always been there with you, and he'll always be there with you, even when you don't understand. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're going through a place and you just say, you know, sometimes we feel God in one area of our lives, but in another area, it seems like he's not there, he doesn't care, he's nowhere to be found. I want to pray for you, if that's you. Can we close our eyes for just one moment? Father, I thank you for every person in this room that's crying out and saying, Lord, I don't understand, but today we are choosing to trust you. We don't get it. It doesn't make sense. We can't find you. We're feeling abandoned. We're feeling forsaken. 
But Lord, in that moment, we are connected with Jesus. And we know that if he made it through, we can make it through. Make it through. We know that if you didn't give up on Jesus, you're not going to give up on us. But Father, may we know deep in our hearts and our spirits that you are for us, that you are with us, and that God, you are good. So encourage our hearts and encourage our spirits today. Let us have the strength to endure and the tenacity to stay in the fight and the, and the commitment to know that we can trust in you no matter what comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. Our host is coming.